0: I didn't know this was going to happen today, and I'll forgo any comment about my job. (laughs) But you know, Christine is right. Kids' hearts are pliable. And through our ministry, Sunday by Sunday, and this coming July, up to 200 kids, we hope, will be here. By the way, friends, neighbors, relatives, get them signed up. Pray for that. But God will form the hearts and the minds of children through our ministry, through us literally. And uh, it's exciting that a lot of those kids are not, not only they're not IPC kids, they're not church kids. It's a huge opportunity. But here's my comment to you today. Guess who's, who else's heart I long to be pliable before God? Ours, everybody. And I just suggest today that uh, God wishes to just form and shape I was a good sculptor i'd form something beautiful here and i can't but god can right and i hope your heart is pliable and ready to hear and receive the word of god and uh, to believe it so uh, let's pray and then we'll we'll jump in <clears throat> gracious god uh, what a dramatic thing it is that you have come to us in christ and that he died on the cross for our sin and he rose to new life that he might be our lord our Savior that we might be his, that we might be in relationship with you through him. And we praise you for him and what he did on the cross. We praise you, Father, for raising Jesus from the dead. We praise you, Lord, that you work by your spirit now and that you make us your children. We sung about that also today. And now, God, we are before you that we might hear, that we might understand. We pray, Lord, for pliable hearts. And we pray, Lord, that as we hear your word once again, that you will form us and shape us to be the people that you call us to be. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, we started a series last week on marriage, on Mother's Day, and I hope last Sunday morning that the moms and the women of this church were treated as precious people and that they were cherished. How'd uh, how'd we do, moms and women? Decent job? Pretty, pretty well? Yeah? Well, you know what? I hope it didn't just happen last Sunday. I hope, I hope it happened on Monday, and then on Tuesday. And then I hope it happened on Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, and I hope it'll happen today, because what we learned was the gift that God gave to Adam was precious to be cherished, right? And not just for a day. Right, moms? Right, women? Right, dads? Right, husbands? Yeah, we're going to carry on today and i, and I want to tackle the topic of uh, of what defines marriage what defines marriage biblically um now as always we have to go to the bible right? we have to go to that book that tells us the mind of god and I, I and i know you've heard me say it before but i keep saying it especially in the culture in which we live we do not think the thoughts of god his thoughts are beyond our thoughts the bible says right his ways are beyond our ways we don't think like him and he doesn't think like us naturally and what he has done is give us this incredible book the bible he has inspired it and he has revealed himself and his his mind that we might come across the thoughts of god and that those thoughts by the work of his holy spirit might become our thoughts and might in time transform our lives taking us to that place which jesus called abundant living in him Um, I hope, especially as I tackle this one, this this one could be a little controversial, right? That you're open to to the thoughts and the mind and the heart of God for his people. So I want to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where we started last week. And we, we talked, you might remember, about the Genesis 2 marriage. And that's the marriage that existed filled with life and with joy and with beauty and with grace prior to sin coming into the world. And then there was a Genesis 3 marriage, which is more characterized by criticism and condemnation. After sin happened, things kind of fell apart. And I want to look at what it is that God created when he, when he formed the Genesis 2 marriage. What are the constituent parts of marriage, biblically speaking? Uh, What is it that God wishes to reveal to us in this text? And I'm going to give you several points, the first of of which is is this, number one. God, by definition, includes companionship in our marriages, which grows out of sameness. Sound a little weird? I'll explain. Here's what's going on. Here's the context. God has created everything, the sun, the moon, the sea, the land, the trees, the all has been created by god and as he creates going through genesis chapter one he continually steps back day after day and he looks at what he has done in that given day and he says this is good it's almost like god giving himself a pat on the back he's going thumbs up on that one this is a beautiful wonderful thing that in itself says a lot about creation and seven times god says this is good leading to the seventh time in genesis chapter 1 verse 31 where, where god on the sixth day Did this, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And after having said that, God creates Adam. Genesis 2, a a more full description of the creation of Adam himself. And, and, And Adam is given the work of tending the garden. He's in relationship with God. But then, chapter 2, verse 18 says this. The Lord God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the sequencing of these verses um, is intended to, to bring us to this point and this, for this to kind of shock us or to impact us because God says this is good, 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 this is very good. And then he looks at, at Adam in his scenario and says this is, this is not good at all. Understand, God is saying there's a problem with my creation. That's a bit shocking, isn't it? But of course, God knows that the creation is not yet complete. But God looks at Adam and, and it says that Adam is alone. Adam is lonely. You ever been lonely? Loneliness is one of the most painful experiences that human beings can endure and experience and have in their lives. It's painful. It's awful. Um, and and Adam finds himself in this scenario. He's got a dynamic relationship with God. He's got meaningful and and, and significant work to do, but what's being played out here is is the very fact that this, this one is made in the image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who has existed, three persons in loving relationship for all eternity. Um... And and Adam being made in that image is a highly relational being, so much so that his existence without companionship is incredibly difficult for him. He's not doing well. God knows it. So God acts. And God creates Eve, someone who is like him, someone who is the same as him. Um... The sameness is emphasized throughout this text. You know, Adam was formed from the soil. The animals actually were formed from the soil, according to the story. But Eve was formed not from the soil, but from the rib that God took from Adam. You see, she is formed from the same stuff as him. Um, the same Even her name is like Adam's. It's an interesting coincidence, actually, that in Hebrew and in English, the name of man and woman are very similar. The word man is in woman, right? There's a sense that there's a sameness between them. And even in the Hebrew, ish is man and nishishah is woman. The ish of man is in the name of woman. The sameness is played out in the text, and what's so obvious here is that they're both human beings. You know, Adam has existed with God. They're not the same. There's a, there's a reflection, there's the image of God in, in Adam. And he's existed with the animals and he's existed with the, with the creation in many expressions. But they're not the same as him. And here God forms this person and brings Eve to him to be his companion. One who is like him. Someone to share life with him. Someone to do life with him so that he's not alone, so that they are not alone. When I think of companionship, I think of the the, the phrase companion for the journey. Someone to travel through life with. Um, And this idea of sameness and companionship is weaved into this biblical narrative. Now let me ask you, let me just pause for a minute and ask you who are married here, how are you doing with the companionship factor in your life? How are you doing with that? The sharing of life with someone, the the, the doing of life together with with intimacy and and with joy. You see, it's possible to be married to someone and still do life alone. It's a tragic reality. And I would be shocked if there aren't people in this church today who are married, but they're doing life alone. And are even lonely. Um, It would be like Adam living... With Eve, but as as if he lived with as he lived before her creation. Um, sin can produce this in us. This is the Genesis three reality. Sin can cause hurts which are unresolved and wrongs which are unforgiven. Sin can cause us to deprioritize one another and give attention and focus and energy and time to other things rather than to the spouse that God has brought into our lives. Um, and togetherness suffers. Companionship. suffers sharing of life decreases to the point where it's almost nil and i want us just to think for a few minutes about a couple of simple little things that can nurture companionship and can draw us together can i suggest first of all um that one way to simply share life is to take time to talk to one another say chris you can do better than that can't you don't you have all week to prepare this you know come on I want to tell you, this is a big one. Couples sitting down, sharing their lives, finding unity together, encountering it together. You know, I'm a pretty talkative guy, and I like talking to people. It's what I do for a living, did you notice? I talk, I actually write and I talk. That's what I'm doing right now, I talk. I am not a carpenter who has a hammer and a saw, I'm not a mechanic who has tools, I'm, I'm a talker. And I talk all day long, and I enjoy my talking. But when I go home at night, guess what I don't want to do? I don't want to talk. Now I'm blessed with a lovely wife, Heather, and one of the, so, someone who really wants to share her life with me, I, I encounter it all the time. And very often, most often at night, I'll come home and her question to me will, will often be, so how was your day? And I have a decision to make. I can either not talk, which sometimes she allows me the benefit of for a few minutes, but I can not talk and keep that big part of my life to myself separate from her, if you wish. Or I can give myself to this nurturing of companionship and I can share the good points of my days and the bad points, the the, the joys that I've celebrated and the struggles and the stresses, because they're all there, right? You see, what we have to give ourselves to, to the extent that we can is the sharing of life to the person God has gifted us with. Blessed us with an honest expression of our feelings and of our thoughts. Yes, guys, our feelings as well as our thoughts. A-, a sharing of our experiences which we have had and which we have known. I mean, it's simple, but it's profound. Do you talk to your spouse? Sometimes not so much, for whatever reason. When I hear laughter, I know I'm getting close to something. <laughs> Another simple little point. You know, just do life together. Do life together. Um, definition of companionship, just picked it up on a dictionary on my, on my phone. Frequent, uh, frequently in the company of, associates with, and accompanies another. Are you in the company of, and do you associate with? <laughs> uh, your spouse, if you're married. you do life together or is it kind of, you know, you go your way and I'll go mine? It's really easy to do. Sometimes because of hardened hearts and we want that. And the farther you go down those two separate trajectories, the farther apart you're going to become. But the reality is sometimes we just engage those things which we enjoy. And sometimes our spouse just doesn't enjoy them. And there's a place for that. And it's okay to have Time on our own, doing our own thing with friends and so forth. But generally speaking, does togetherness, sharing of life, sharing activity characterize our relationship? Um, Sometimes yes, and sometimes no. It's easy to do what I like and let him or her do what he or she likes, and this happens. Um, Don't let it happen, be intentional. Can I suggest you pray together? Praying together is a very intimate thing. It's sharing more than talk, <laughs> it's sharing Christ and our faith. Um, can I suggest you worship together? You know, some of you are, obviously, right now. Again, coming to that place, being in the presence of God as one, two people who have been united as one. And so the list goes. It's simple again, it's like talking. Do things together, share life as you enjoy the the journey. And and final little point, simple. Um, Just be together, take time together, take time for one another. It's kind of like saying the same thing at different layers, isn't it? You know, if there's anything I've learned in my life in the last few years is one of the greatest threats to our well-being, and that's personally physically and spiritually and emotionally and mentally and relationally in our marriages is being so busy and so overcommitted in our lives that we don't have time both for ourselves and for our marriages. Um, If you and I don't have time for our marriages, there's something wrong. You can play that out with God. You can figure out what that looks like and what that means. And I know that work is demanding, and I know that little kids particularly are a lot of work and hard it's it hard to kind of, it's hard to create that environment just being together so you can talk and so that you can enjoy. But I'm, t- I'm telling you, if, if there's no time in life, if there's no time for focus and for relationship and for connectedness in life, there's something really wrong and contrary to what God wants. Make it happen. Make it happen. So, number one, this idea of just you know being companions to one another because there's a sameness, bringing joy and 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 goodness and strength and love into life. It's what God wants. Second element, second constituent element, if you would, of biblical marriage is, and you're going to find this a little bit contradictory, but give me a minute. Instead of difference, or as well as as sameness, there's difference. It's weaved into the fabric of this text, creating us as complementary people in marriage. I love the little phrase that in marriage we're supposed to be the same but different. The same but different. Um, And how are we different in the text? Well, gender is the central feature. God created us male and female and he united us in marriage. Eve was designed by God for Adam as she was for unique reasons. It's weaved into the story. Physically she's different, obviously, and we're gonna talk about children in a minute. So obviously, that differences exist, but it's not just physical. Can I say the differences reach to our personhood? I want to say this carefully and well, but when I was in university in the 1980s, you know, the Dark Ages, long ago, um, and it does seem like a long time ago to me, but there was was a, a thrust in the social sciences at the time, and I took courses to this end, which said, which said, we need to move toward an understanding where we recognize that men and women are basically the same. Sameness. Um, And it was the politically correct thing to say. It was almost a bad thing if you didn't agree with that. There was pushback, unless you do, because I think there was a confusion between the idea of sameness and equality. There wasn't a recognition, recognition that we can be different and equal. But you know what social scientists are saying now? Men and women are different. It took him 40 years to figure it out. And those of us not in the ivory tower going, yeah, good for you, buddy. You know, like you you figured it out. What they're they're recognizing is that that men and women are different in how we view life and how we process issues in life and how we do relationship and how we communicate and what our priorities might be. And it's not that we're unequal, it's just that we're different. We're the same as human beings, but there's a, a real difference in us. Um, and I know it's really easy to stereotype, and I don't want to stereotype. I don't want to characterize every male and female in the ways that I'm describing because it's not always the case. But might it be fair to say that men tend to be task-oriented problem-solvers? You think? I've been married for almost 27 years. June 10, next month, you can send me cards and congratulate me. <laughs> and my wife, of course, had it. But. For 27 years, I've done the same thing, I still do it. Heather will talk to me about some issue in her life or some struggle or difficulty, and the first thing I'll do is I will say, here's the solution, and she'll say to me, Chris, she doesn't say this, but it could be, Chris, 27 years, I don't want a solution, I want you to listen to me. Where is she? Am I right, am I telling the truth? Oh, yeah, and it's like I can't stop now. I'm trying to learn and I'm, I'm slowly getting it, but I'm a man What about the possibility you know probability possibility that women just might be um, a little more Relationally gifted and intuitive about relationships than men? What do you think? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And this isn't bad. You know, it's good to be a problem solver after you've listened. It's really good. <laughs> and it's really good to be relationally and intu- you know, kind of intuitively in-, in touch with how relationships work. Sometimes it's good to be a man in those scenarios. Like, you see, there's something good about this. Difference isn't, isn't bad, but we're different. Now look at this in, in this light. Late- Genesis chapter 2, verses 18. In terms of, difference so god created mankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them that's the wrong text but i sure read it well didn't i (laughs) genesis 2 verse 18 there we go The, the lord god said it is not good for the man to be alone then the second part we're going to focus on now i will make a helper suitable for him now a lot of people over the years have struggled with this because they look at the text and they say oh well the woman is to be subservient the man is primary the man is central the man is to be served he is most important and the woman is just there to help him out to serve his purposes and she's somehow secondary or inferior i'm here to tell you that is not what that text talks about it's not what it says and i'm going to tell you why you want to know why good that's good It is this that word helper here in the text the nlt the new living translation says a helper who is just right for him is quite a common word in the old testament in the hebrew of course and 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 uh, it it comes along to us in its usage and it is most often used the helper the helpmate is most often used in reference to god so, what's going on is that God comes along to the Israelite people and they're struggling and they're hurting, they're, they're, they're desperately in need of Him somehow. And like they're in a battle and they're losing the battle, and along comes the helper, the helpmate that's the Hebrew word and God enables them to win the battle. Um, God is the, the specific provider of that which is needed for the Israelite people to thrive. Now, he's not inferior to the Israelites, he's not subservient to them, he's not lesser than them, he's not weaker than the Israelis. And it's not suggesting, by the way, that he's superior to them either. What's basically being taught here is that the helpmate or the helper is the one who brings something of great value to bear in this circumstance. The helper is one who has abilities and who has strengths that is going to bring the help that is needed uh, to the person being helped. The helper and the helped person, the helper and the helpmate, they're different in their strengths. And in this context, Eve comes along. She's presented by God to, uh, to Adam as the one who has been designed specifically to enable him and to strengthen him and to provide for him that which he needs. Um, there's nothing of inequality here. There's nothing of inferiority here. There's something of significance and honor provided to the woman in this context. And what happens when the helpmate is brought together with the helped? They're different, but it provides a greater whole, a greater whole, a relationship, a a something which is greater than the individual parts. Something beautiful that God forms. You see, Eve is what Adam needs. And I would suggest to you, too, that Adam is what Eve needs. And in their coming together, they provide for one another. And the creation is a beautiful thing. Let me just add this in. This is so, so important. In their togetherness, my friends, what the Genesis text suggests, that they reflect more fully the image of God together than either of them can on their own. Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them Male and female, he created them. What most fully reflects the nature and the reality of God? Men and women together in the union of marriage. That ought to make you sit there and think for a little while. Together, this unity projects the reality, the image of who God is in his very nature. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let me say this too about difference in marriage. I don't want to go on too much with any one point, but this is so cool to me. In Genesis 1 and 2, particularly in 1, and it carries on into 2, of course, there are couplings which are the same but different. God created the heaven and the earth. God created the night and the day, it says. God created the sun and the moon, same but different. God created the morning and the evening. He created the sea and the land. He created the plants and the animals, so it says. Each pairing belonging to the other, but different from one another. And as the, at the apex of this coupling sequence that forms the passage, it says God created Adam and Eve, male and female, same but different, in their gender. Okay. Now, as a result, can I ask, what do, we, what do we as married couples in the church, and those of you who are yet to be married, what will you do with differences? And all of a sudden I hear quiet groans squeaking up from the pew. See, here's what happens when we fall in love, we are attracted by differences, right? Um... We see something in the other that we lack in ourselves and we have this longing for it, we're drawn toward it. We think of it as something as good and beautiful and right. We we long for completion of ourselves, if you want to put it that way, we long uh, to to have this something more that I can be a part of this relationship. So the quiet can be drawn to the talkative and vice versa. The feeling oriented can be drawn to the thinking and the thinking oriented person to the feeling because there's something in the other that I long for in my life and I need. You know, there's a structured and organized person is drawn to the flexible, spontaneous person, and vice versa. It's something that we celebrate, it's something that is good, it's something that that adds significantly to our lives, because God has created this new thing called marriage that we can be a part of. But after a little while in marriage, after the, the first blush of romance and life together and so forth wears off, we discover we're married to somebody who's very different than us. It can't be avoided. It's somehow written into to, to the, to the way marriage seems to work to one degree or another. And sometimes I want to tell you the way we will respond to differences will determine whether we enter into a Genesis 2 and experience a Genesis 2 marriage or a Genesis 3 marriage. Because you see, what can happen is you know, that which once you know, looked incredibly appealing to us and we were attracted to because we were longing for completion, it starts to irritate us. You know, the, 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 the feeling-oriented person looking at the thinking-oriented spouse saying, will you not just tell me that you love me? <laughs> and the thinking-oriented person looking at the feeling-oriented person saying, oh, you're so emotional. And then you've got, you know, you've got the, the talkative person who's, who's married to the quiet person. Well, could you, could you say something once in a while? And the quiet person saying, would you just shut up? You know, I can't take it. You know, the structured and and organized person looking at the flexible, spontaneous person that used to bring so much joy, and all that it seems now in this moment is is messiness in the house, untidiness, and chaos in life, and the flexible, spontaneous person looking at the organized, structured person thinking, man, anal retentive, like I'm telling you. Lighten up a little bit, will you? And this isn't gender-oriented. This is just our uniqueness, depending on who God has made us to be. Um, But I want to tell you this, when we allow differences to morph from celebration into criticism and condemnation, at the heart of our statements to one another um, is the disastrous reality of pride. Because although we don't actually speak it, we don't say it, what we're communicating is, what's going on kind of deep in our own hearts and our own souls is as I look at you and I see you're different than me, I'm really ready to ask you to change and to criticize you until you do change, until you become like me. Because quite frankly, I really like me. And my way is better than yours. Right? I hear a lot of, hmm, mm, this is good. And that's pride. And that, like a cancer will, uh, will eat away at a marriage until it's healed. My friends, what does Genesis call us to when it comes to difference? It calls us to accept and to celebrate difference. Not an easy thing, but to recognize that in this person that God has blessed me with and in their differences, God has done an amazing thing. Thank goodness the feeling-oriented person has the thinking person once in a while and vice versa. Thank goodness the... Spontaneous person has the organized person. And thank goodness the organized person has the spontaneous person too. And so on it goes. The blessing that God forms in marriage, indifference, is to be celebrated. And I hope we can. Third element, inherit in the biblical dynamic of marriage. And it's so, I would suggest to you, um, intimately connected uh, to the creative act of God is uh, childbearing. Childbearing. Uh, now this, uh, we will admit, has been lost, I would suggest to you, uh, to the modern understanding of marriage. There are, there are marriages today, both heterosexual and homosexual contacts, when marriage is limited to uh, the, this understanding intimate genital uh, contact uh, and, and relationships rooted in companionship. So there's sex and companionship. And we're going to talk more about this, but... Essentially, the the dynamic is that I I entered into this relationship because it's going to benefit me. Now, that's a huge shift from some generations ago in terms of our understanding of what marriage was all about. But there are lots of couples today who, you know, don't want children. They're heterosexual couples, and, and their perspective is something like this. You know, I'm glad to be married. I'm glad to be in this sexual companionship relationship, but I don't want kids, like they're so expensive, and I'm gonna to have to feed them. I'm gonna to to clothe them. Like for 20 years, I'm gonna to have to send them to university. I'm not kidding you. Um, and they're such a challenge. Like when they're little, you gotta stay up all night with them. You have gotta feed them. You gotta change. You know. And then they grow up and they become teenagers. I've seen teenagers. I've, I used to be one. No, thank you. I don't want to have to sacrifice like that. I don't want to have to live my life for that. And there are lots of people who are choosing not to have kids. And then, of course, in the, in the homosexual uh, uh, marriage scenario, it, it's, it's, of course, not a possibility to have the kids together. Um, but I want to read this to you, Genesis 1, verse 28. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Old, old text, be fruitful and multiply. Do you love that? Be f- fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. And we can stop there. God's got a purpose and an intention for marriage. God creates Adam and Eve as they are for a lot of reasons, and one of them is to produce kids. You see, God God takes these two people and he's designed them as they are, and they have sexual desire, and they have the physical capacity for sexual union, which produces conception, which produces gestation, which produces birth, new life. God at work. And it's part and parcel of the biblical Genesis 1 and 2 description of what marriage actually is. And it's a beautiful, remarkable, and wonderful thing, no matter how much sacrifice and challenge and and, and financial expense is involved. (sighs) See, my friends, it's, it's in the nature of marriage. Some might say, well, Chris... Some do say, Chris, that can't be. What about the, the couple who can't, can't have a child, maybe f- because of infertility or because of age? Are you saying that's not real marriage? Uh, no. <laughs> but that doesn't deny the reality that, according to Scripture, at the very heart of this teaching, the, the nature and the purpose and the definition of marriage includes childbearing. It's there. And I would just say to those of you who um, maybe are contemplating kids, or in the future, married, or, or otherwise at this point, or those of you who have children, understand the incredible role God has given you. And those of you who have kids know that they don't just—you don't just have them for a few years. You just—they just get bigger, and you still got them, and they still need you in, in their own way, right? This is a God-ordained role for us. This is something that God, God calls us to and he uses us in to bless and to nurture, bless children, bless families, bless society. I want to conclude this morning with this idea that we, you know, we read Genesis, the Genesis account as God's creation, but I want to tell you, he keeps on creating. Do you know that? He brings Eve to Adam, and I want you to hear this. He still does. Um, I just want to throw this in here. If if, if you are worried about finding the right person, can I ask you to stop worrying? Understand the power of the text. God formed this woman, and he walked her into Adam's life, and wow. Sparks and romance and marriage. Um, And I believe with all of my heart, whoever you might be as you anticipate and as you look forward to, God is forming the person who you will marry. And I would encourage you to pray for that person, even though you don't know him or her yet. Parents, will you pray for the future spouse of your kids? Because what God is doing, and you can pray to this end, that God would form that person according to the power of the word of God and according to the work of his spirit, preparing him or her for your child. Cool? Very cool. God's not beyond that. God can do that. So yeah, God provides that person to us. And as God once formed the marriage of Adam and Eve, I want to tell you so, he still forms marriage. He brings people together who are similar in terms of humanity and for companionship and who are different for the sake of completion. He brings them together and he creates a new union through which his nature is displayed to the world as we live out Genesis 2, not Genesis 3. He brings people together in union, and although they're different, he enables them to love in spite of and to celebrate differences and not condemn. He brings people together, and he creates children from that union, and our human race carries on and it prospers in him. See, it's not what God once created that we're talking about. It's what God still creates today in us, through us, for us, and for his glory. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. As we go forward together, let's figure out what it means to live in the reality of what he calls us to as we celebrate marriage God's way by his definition. Let's pray. Lord God, we're, we're, we're talking today and in these weeks about something that is truly a creation of yours. Once long ago in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and then today repeatedly here among us, and Lord, how we long to take hold of what you intend. We long to participate in the creation, Lord, um, uh, of this thing which you have uh, so clearly defined for us. And we pray, our God, that uh, you would enable us by your power, by your strength, by your Holy Spirit to take hold of Genesis 2 marriage. Um, Lord, we want to honor you. We want to be shaped by your understanding and by your thoughts. We want to learn how to live this out, God. In a God-honoring, loving, grace-oriented, forgiving, beautiful way where we celebrate one another as gifts of you. Lord, and make it a reality in in the marriages which are represented here this morning. Um, Teach us, show us, guide us that our marriages can be everything that uh, you have created them to be. And our God, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. wait